0: Well, hello! How are you doing? Good, good energy. Um, y'all, that was great uh, singing. You sounded awesome. Uh, but here's the thing, I know that um, whenever who is preaching gets up to, your, to preach, it's like the time to like chill and sit down and relax, but you cannot leave me hanging up here, okay? So everyone say amen. amen. Everyone say that's good. You're ready. Perfect. Feel free to use those uh, as this time uh, goes on. My name is Natalie, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and just want to welcome you uh, to week two of our Broken Buildings series. I'm excited to be able to share with you uh, this evening. We gave Pastor Mark a break. He's enjoying uh, just watching uh, back in the back row. Um, We are super blessed to have our leader. Um, He is... Um, smart and kind uh, and just really awesome to work for. Um, One little applause for you. To be fair, I did not do the Canadian thing and like told you all to to applaud, so I get that. Uh, But we are are really blessed, so I'm always thankful when he's willing to share uh, the pulpit uh, and let um, some others of us uh, share with you. And so I'm excited to be up here. Um, We started off this series last week um, I'm really excited for this series, the whole premise being that uh, an imperfect church is perfect for you, which sounds like a really funny thing to say, but uh, the moment we all walk into this building, it becomes real interesting, right? Uh, we are it is no longer a perfect building and this building itself, uh, here at North Campus is um, a little bit. It's aging a bit, so it's definitely, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a broken building, but we're not like far off of this building being, um, you know, a little bit past its prime and we're doing our best to uh, make it awesome, but she's seen a lot right? This building has seen a lot. Uh, And so uh, last week, we talked a bit about that. Pastor Mark did um, just gave a a really great word on how um, our heritage is something that we can be thankful for, but it isn't something that should stop the vision of God. Right, that every generation has permission to interact with uh, the voice of God and to kind of keep things moving forward. And so, if you didn't catch that, I would highly suggest that you go online uh, and just take uh, take that message in. But this week, um, I'm going to talk about. Uh, last week we talked about the church is not a museum, but this week we are going to talk about the fact that the church is a hospital. Okay, everyone, say hospital. You're giving that, like, blank stare, and it's making me a little nervous up here. Uh, so we're going to talk about that the fact that the church is a hospital, and a big portion of this week is talking about the whole idea of healing. Now, we know um, that the hospital is not a place we want to have to go to, right? No one wakes up in the morning and thinks, man, I should really stop into the ER and just see how things are running. Um, maybe you do. I don't want to offend you. Uh, But we are all thankful that it's there when we need it, right? As much as we go into the ER and we're like, why am I sitting in this cesspool of germs to be told that I have a cold? But it's a building we're thankful to have, but it's a building we don't want to have to go to. Um, When I was um, all the way back in grade one, uh, I had my tonsils out. And I can remember, it was one of those first very visceral memories I have of my childhood. Um, I can remember... Uh, I was kind of like a fearful child that had a lot of anxiety, and I remember knowing I was going to have to go in to have this surgery done, and thinking, like, why are my, like, my parents are the worst parents ever. Like, why are they allowing this to happen? Uh, and I, at the time, um, was obsessed with 101 Dalmatians. It was like my jam, it was the thing I watched at night to make me feel better about the world. Uh, and everything was 101 Dalmatians. To this day, I would still love uh, to have a Dalmatian. And I can remember refusing to go into surgery unless my Pongo stuffy could come with me. I'm being real transparent with you up here, so be gentle with me after this sermon. I like refused. And the surgeons were really nice and they let Pongo come in. Pongo also got his tonsils out. Um, amen, that he's okay. He's in storage somewhere, but he's doing great. Uh, And so I remember understanding after um, I was out of recovery and um, up in a hospital room that this is the place where the root beer popsicles are. Amen. And so I was like, I don't know, guys. I mean, I don't know if you've got all of the tonsils. We may have to go back in and re-explore because I just really wanted to stay (laughs) for the food. Um, And so Fast forward a few years, I had um, a really weird thing with allergies. Um, I had been supply teaching for a couple years and I woke up and it just looked like someone had like punched me right in the mouth. My lips were swollen and I was like, well, that's probably fine, I'll just go to work. Um, like a typical person, we wouldn't go to the doctor we actually think something is wrong. And so, I was driving out to Oromucto and I could start to feel my tongue expand and I thought perhaps troublesome. So I veered off of the highway and uh, went into the Ormacto hospital. And (laughs) I don't remember a lot of this because they gave me a few Benadryl upon seeing like my swollen face. And um, I got parked in the hallway and got put on um, a Benadryl drip as well as a prednisone drip. So, like, I was in another realm of understanding, and um, I still, to this day, have no idea. I had two of those kind of weird things happen, and with allergies, I don't know what I'm allergic to, so pray for me, apparently, uh, that we figure that out, but it's never come back, but I can remember sitting in the hospital thinking, like, this is the worst, and at the time, I was, um, felt really good about being a vegetarian. That ship has since sailed, but... Um, I can remember I was not allowed to leave until I ate so they could make sure that everything was working uh, properly. I could breathe and you know all that kind of uh, fun stuff. And uh, they brought this um, plate of hospital shepherd's pie out to me. <sighs> Guys, it was really bad. <laughs> it was, I don't, I still don't understand it. Even to see it, I just didn't understand <laughs> the layers and what was happening, uh, but I, choked it down and was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, and got to leave. And so uh, we all have had these experiences, right? And I'm joking around, but I'm sure in a room this size with this many people, there have been some really serious experiences uh, with the hospital. It's not a place we want to have to go to, but it's a place we're thankful for. Uh, and I'm thankful um, for the church uh, and all of her functions is a place of healing. Amen? Amen. This is a place that we can come to uh, in our brokenness. And so we're going to talk a bit about that uh, tonight. Uh, And I'm going to actually read to you from uh, John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip there with me. Um, And if not, you'll see it on the screen uh, just behind me. So this starts in John chapter 4. Starts at verse 43. So we're kind of picking up. Uh, in the middle of something, and you'll notice that uh, by the way that this verse starts. So it says, At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never, or sorry, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? I love when Jesus gets a little sassy. Um, The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. And while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy began to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized this was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Can I pray for you? God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, And I just pray that you uh, and your glory would be on display in these next few moments. I pray that um, this time uh, is what each of us need. You know each and every heart in this room. You know the stories, the excitement, and the heart. And I pray, uh, God, that your word splits apart in a way uh, that is fuel uh, for each of us uh, in a way that helps us understand you really do hear us, and you are so very near. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would be here and do your work. That we would hear and feel the things that we need uh, as humans in this moment. We love you so much. And we all said. Amen. So we've got this story uh, about Jesus uh, performing a healing miracle. And one of the last times I was up here, I preached about the first miracle that Jesus did in Cana, which was turned uh, water into wine. He crashed a party with his 12 best friends uh, and helped this wedding along by turning water into wine. And so now we see Jesus going back uh, to Cana. Uh, and performs a healing miracle there. We're going to pull this scripture apart a little bit just so that we can see um, kind of the fullness of what uh, Jesus is really doing. Because the best thing about Jesus is that it's not just the surface that's happening, right? Right? It's very easy to read the Bible and think, oh, but there's so much more that's going on. And it only takes a few minutes of you really reading uh, and trying to uh, read with Holy Spirit through his eyes and understanding that there's so much complexity for us to learn. And I think there's a lot of stuff in here for us as a church. I'm going to try and preach in a timely manner because I want us to have time to pray together at the end. So I'm going to try to do that really well. Pray for me. (laughs) Uh, so we start off, uh, like I said, in Cana, and um, when we have to understand about Galilee, we can think, I know that there's a lot of people here who probably are better at directions than I am, but think about Galilee as Fredericton, and so we've got uh, Nazareth and Cana and places like this, and it's kind of like Marysville, um, Devon, those kind of places. So we've got this overall region that Jesus is kind of traveling around. So we know he's come uh, to Cana. And the interesting thing that um, I thought when I first started reading this story is one of the first things that Jesus says um, is that a prophet is never honored. Some versions say welcomed in his hometown. So we know that Jesus is from Nazareth, but he's in the parts where he grew up right? And he says that uh, a prophet is never honored where he comes from. And I thought it's really interesting because one of the next verses says, uh, and, the Gal- and the Galileans welcomed him. <laughs> it's like, mm, it's kind of contradicting. Uh, and so we ha- what we have to understand is going on here you see it a little bit later um, down when Jesus kind of gets a little sassy with them. And he says, well, you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders. What Jesus is talking about there is the fact that they're not welcoming him as Messiah. They're welcoming him as a miracle worker. Because we know in the scriptures that some of these people were in Jerusalem at a Passover feast. And they saw him work miracles there right? And so when they see him walk in, they know they're going to see some cool stuff. And so their expectation of him is just to work these miracles. But for me as a follower of Jesus, I know the way that I expect Jesus is huge and paramount to my experience of him. And so Jesus is telling them um, basically in what he's saying, I'm the Messiah, but you're not welcoming me As such. And I think that that says a lot for what these people think of him. We know that uh, people are not really a big fan of him um, in this region. And so they're welcoming him as someone who can basically put on a show, right? And I think what's really dangerous sometimes is when we want to be entertained by Jesus, we want to be entertained by miracles, but we don't entertain miracles. See what I mean? When we want to be entertained, we want to see Jesus do all the big things. But we have a hard time believing in him as Messiah to actually do them. Right? And so we've got this group of people who are like, hop up on the stage like, we want to see you go. We want to see you do the things that you do. But they're not welcoming him as the son of God. They're not welcoming him um, as Messiah. Does that make sense? And so when we're talking about healing, um, what we have to understand is that healing only happens through Jesus, right? Okay, (laughs) you're all just staring at me. So that's huge for us to understand because there are a lot of people, even back in the day, who were walking around doing stuff and performing stuff, but they were not Jesus. They were not the Messiah. And healing is great, but healing from Jesus is the best, and so he's trying to let them know, listen, it's great that these things are happening, um, but here's the reason why. And the way that Jesus does miracles uh, is important for us to understand. They all point towards him um, as Messiah. Because so when you look at the landscape of miracles that Jesus performs, you automatically see who Jesus is performing miracles for, and that is the teaching moment for us in our context right now, that Jesus was involving uh, the vulnerable. He was going to the people who most people didn't want to be seen with, didn't want to understand, didn't want to be around, didn't think that they were worth it. And so naturally the teaching moment there for us is understanding uh, that healing stretches us. Right, and sometimes it's very, uh, it's dangerous to look at someone just in their brokenness. And I think the church sometimes does a really great job at trying to call out people's brokenness. This is how you're broken, and this is if it's if it's good or it's not good, and we'll decide who we want to be around or who we don't. Um, but Jesus is very clearly approaching the vulnerable and helping the vulnerable and so that's a lesson for us uh, in miracles and so Jesus is helping us to understand we don't just expect him to do things we don't just expect Jesus to work for us we should first expect the Messiah the core of his character and who Jesus is and that in and of itself is healing with me Okay, so a little bit further down, we know that one of the only people that um, are kind of mentioned or singled out uh, is an official. Um, And we know that the king of the day was King Herod who was definitely not a fan of Jesus and King Herod ruled in a very power and authority kind of way. He decreed things. This is how it's going to be. And in my opinion, this is not, (laughs) I didn't read this anywhere, but in my opinion, I think that Herod obviously had a lot of fear. And that manifested itself into how he led the land. He wanted people to bow down to him. He, from Jesus' first breath, even before that, wanted Jesus gone because he feared not being the ruler of the land. Right, And so it obviously directly opposes the person that Jesus is and how Jesus operates. I think that frustrates King Herod. And so we've got this official who's coming into town. We know he's traveled from Capernaum, which is 16 miles away. He's assumedly walked here. Um, He's definitely not hopped a plane or gotten in a car or got on a train. He's made his way um, by foot to Capernaum to seek out the direct enemy of who he serves And what a bold statement. And to me, I think we all need to understand that no matter your position, you are always positioned to be part of a healing work that Jesus wants to do in our lives. That he is the most unlikely person to be chosen to do kingdom work, right? A direct opposition of Jesus. He's serving uh, the king. And what a bold statement for him to walk 16 miles, you would have lots of time in there, for all of you who, you know, do the exercise thing. Um, You have lots of moments where you think, I can stop now and turn around, right? We all have that. Right? When I'm on the treadmill at Good Life, I think, I can stop now. Like, no one, it's not going to matter to anyone. I can stop now. He had lots of time to think about what he was doing as he was going, and he didn't stop. He got to Jesus and asked not once, but twice. And it says that he begged for Jesus to help him. He begged for Jesus to come and see his son, who we know is dying, who's back in Capernaum. And the word beg is quite, um, it's a, quite a visceral word. He's not politely asking. He's not nonchalantly kind of elbowing Jesus and asking for help. He's begging. Like that evokes an image, right? When you think of um, begging, you think of maybe someone on their knees or pleading. It definitely lowers, it's a lower status maybe of how someone is acting. We've got this man who's, a, who's described as an official, a nobleman who serves the king begging Jesus to help. He believes that Jesus uh, can do this thing, which I just think is so interesting that we can all be uh, positioned no matter what. Jesus would have known um, who he was. He would have been dressed uh, the part. He would have looked like an official. Um, But here he is asking for Jesus to change things for his son. So we're all positioned uh, to participate in healing And I think it's so interesting that at the end of this scripture, it says that his whole household believed. He went home, and he saw that his son was healed, and he said his whole household was believed. And I always wondered why Jesus never went with him, right? He kind of sent him on his way, told him, your son will be healed, and sent him on his way. And I always thought, why wouldn't he go with him? And I thought maybe it was like a power thing, like, Jesus healed from a distance, and that's really cool. And obviously, we don't know, and it's maybe something we won't know with the side of eternity. But to me, I think there's nothing more powerful than human testimony. And so this man going back to his hometown, back to his house, and getting to tell um, his people this is what really happened because they would have seen the evidence of it. It said that the son was healed like that, like the, f- the fever came out of him immediately. It wasn't like the fever broke and, you know, he kind of got better over time. He was l- literally okay in a, in a moment and they saw that happen and he's the one who got to do the kingdom work of delivering the good news of Jesus. Isn't that good? That Jesus let him participate in that way. And so I went on a journey of trying to seek out other examples of this, and this is constant for Jesus. He was always encouraging his disciples to baptize and, and have these positions that really a lot of us would think, like, why isn't Jesus the one doing that? But Jesus wants us to understand that we are empowered to be part of this thing with him. And when we talk about healing, uh, we're part of that in this church, Right? Oftentimes, we narrow down uh, maybe just to the gift of healing. If someone has this ability through the Spirit to pray healing over someone. But in my mind, uh, the gift of compassion is just as important. The gift of kindness is just as important. The gift of hospitality is just as important. Because those are healing for all of us, right? For someone who's going through a rough situation, you may not be able to pray healing into them. That's the job of Jesus, but who knows how far a meal goes, or a phone call, or a message. I see you. I value you, right? Those are so important. Those are healing, right? There's a practical side to healing uh, that we get to participate. I remember a few years back, um, we did a series here called Ghost Stories, and uh, there was a few um CPers who actually talked about uh, their healing stories. And it was really cool, I remember, to sit in these rows and listen to everyday people, ordinary people talk about how uh, God touched their body with healing and things changed. And for, for some it wasn't a right-away thing. For some it was, you know, kind of time released almost. It was down the road that things were restored. But there's just nothing like hearing another human talk about um, their experience with healing because it gives us hope, right? If God can do healing in me, there is nothing that makes me different from you. So he can do healing in you. And so when one part of our community is healed, we're all healed. Because in family and in unity, we want for each other. We want good for each other. And so as you experience restoration, I am restored right? And so this is important uh, that he got to be part of things uh, like that. And hope is a hard thing. Hope is a hard thing. And that's kind of where I want to end for tonight because I do want us to pray together as a community. Um, Hope is a dangerous thing when you are in a situation that hurts. When you're in a situation that needs resolve or healing, whatever that looks like, the choice to believe in hope is a really hard one to make because hope puts us in a vulnerable spot, right? There's lots of times that I in my life have said, I'm just not going to hope and then I won't be let down. So we just, as humans, don't want to feel those feelings. We don't want to lose the hope we have. And, And as this man approaches Jesus, as this official approaches Jesus looking for help, what Jesus offers him is hope. Right? And I and I believe this because as soon as Jesus says, go home, your son is well, he's alive, I feel like I would have a few questions maybe. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, like you should probably come with me. Just like I believe you, but just in case it didn't take, like you should probably... Like, let's walk a few miles. Um, I would, I feel, be like a clinger, right? Like, I would be like, no, I need you to come with me. I need you to walk this distance with me and just make sure like, that the desperation would lead me there. But it says in the scriptures that this man literally turned on his heel. Jesus said, go home. And he literally turned on his heel and he went home. And to me, that says that what was healed in him was the ability to hope. That God filled him with a confidence of faith that said, I can walk away from you, the known healer, the Messiah, and I can go home and I know what will be waiting for me there. Isn't that beautiful? And that is something that is missing right now for a lot of us. Many times I've heard this entire world described as hopeless. It's just hopeless, it's chaotic. And we just throw our hands up. But if there's a mantle that I would love for this church, this family to have, is hope. Hope beyond hope. Hope beyond what we can see and what we know in the current situation. Hope that Jesus really will do what he says he will do. That he really will make good on his promises. And the same is true uh, for his healing power. You know, when you think about the state of mind that that official must have had, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine what that felt like to know that your son is literally dying. He has moments left and you are off somewhere trying to do your last desperate act to secure him life. What must have been running through that official's mind. I would like to think when he arrived home, he was a completely different person. But you can imagine what's going through his mind as he's walking those 16 miles back to his son and the courage that it must have taken to take every step and what must have been racing through his mind as he was walking towards what he hoped was healing. Isn't that wild? And I think there's something there for us, that we would be that desperate for one another, right? That we wouldn't look at someone and look at what we think is broken in them and think, I can't do that and walk away, but that we would be so desperate for one another. And I feel like in a room this size, um, there are lots of stories that require healing. There are lots of stories of brokenness, And probably some of you have been praying. (laughs) You've been doing the work with Jesus, and maybe you're not seeing resolve. And can I just say, like, you are so brave for doing that. It's a hard, hard work to continue down that. Don't let anyone tell you that your faith isn't great enough, that you're not doing something enough, because you know the work that you're doing. You know the work that you're doing with Jesus. It is a hard road to walk. That hopeful, um, that hopefulness with Jesus, that resolve will come. Right? One way or another, that resolve will come. That's a hard road to walk. And so I don't know what mile you're on. If you're on mile one or you're on mile fourteen and you are gassed and you just don't know what's gonna carry you these next couple miles. But I believe that Jesus is still in the business of restoration. And I believe that his church, he is at the head of the church, that his church is a place of healing. And I, it is hard sometimes to pray in confidence for the things that we are desiring, but we got to do it. we got to have the faith that Jesus will move. It may not be what we're expecting or what we're hoping for, but he will come through. Amen? I want this to be a house where we see each other as valuable, as worthy of healing. I don't want us to look at each other and see our brokenness and what's wrong and what's bad, but that this would be a community where healing happens because we just are so desperate for one another, that we we do the work of vulnerability with one another and we are desperate for resolve um, for one another. One of my favorite verses uh, is in Hebrews uh, 6, um, so much so that it's tattooed on my foot. Don't tell my mom. <sighs> she knows. Um, and I'm just gonna read this to you, and the band's gonna play um, a little bit. So I'm gonna read this to you. Um, and this is a good one to jot down. Write this down and go uh, and count it for yourself later. Um, this verse, uh, these this stanza of verses, is talking about how um, Jesus promises hope to us. God promises to bring hope. It starts in verse 17. It says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could perfectly, um, could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. Say unchangeable. Unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Isn't that good? So my prayer for you is that hope is what anchors your feet on this journey that god would help anchor you to this journey of restoration i don't know what it is maybe it's physical maybe it's emotional maybe it's relational It's spiritual Um, but all of these things can be restored and the thing about healing is that as humans we want to go back we want to be restored to the to the place back there because it was better we can't see before us and so we look behind and think man like a couple years ago my family looked great and look where we are and we want to be restored unto that but God knows what lies ahead and he wants to restore us unto what he's got for us not some version of the rearview mirror and so we can be thankful that God can use this eternal hope to anchor us to this journey And so I just want us to pray together as a community. Um, There's a few people who are gonna come forward right now and they're here uh, to pray with you this evening. Uh, People who wanna pray confidently over your life for resolve and and for healing, and you can come at any point uh, and receive prayer for that. Um, We want this to be a community where uh, we just believe that God can do crazy things. And so we wanna make a statement that tonight Um, we're confidently moving forward in this journey. Uh, And so um, this time is for you. This time is for you to do what you want uh, and to move. I would encourage you to act on what you're feeling right now. Uh, Don't sit in your seat if you know you're not supposed to be. Uh, If you see a friend come forward, please come uh, and be with that friend. If you know you need to take someone to the altar to pray resolve for them, then do it. But dare to hope tonight with God that he really can uh, move in your situation. Um, We're going to just release South Campus to uh, participate in what the Spirit is doing there. Uh, We love you guys, and so we'll release you uh, to do that today.